Hello, everyone. This is the new episode of ByteN's podcast series, Tech Founders Talk. I'm your host, Yuri, and today we have Dr. John Su as our guest. Dr. Su is a medical doctor, co-founder, and CEO at IPL Dispenser. Hello, John. It's great to have you here today. Hi, thank you, Yuri. Thank you for having me. Great. Okay, let's talk about IPL Dispenser. Actually, as far as I understand, it is a hardware device aimed at fighting the opioid crisis. Tell me a bit more about how it works. Sure. The, uh, the simplest way to explain it is with uh, examples, with an analogy. So in order to prevent uh, opioid abuse and diversion, we need to make the opioid secure. So we use a, a car fob-like situation. We have a mobile app that requires two points of biometric authentication. We use the app as like a car fob. Uh, only you can open your car and start it. So only you who has prescribed the opioids can access opioids only at the prescribed dose. The mobile app connects to a iPill dispenser that dispenses opioids only at the prescribed dose. This is similar to a bank ATM. You can only get a certain amount of money per day with a, a maximum amount of money uh, that you can get per day. So our iPill dispenser, you can only get opioids as prescribed and there's a maximum amount per day. The important part of the opioid is, uh, opio uh, iPill dispenser is that if you try to tamper with it, it actually destroys the pills mm -hmm. inside the iPill dispenser. And in 90 days, it also destroys the uh, unused opioids. In the United States, we have 3.3 billion unused opioids entering our cities every year. So this is a good way to securely store, actively control, and dispose of unused opioids to prevent a, uh, abuse and addiction. Okay, as far as I understand, you have like a huge medical background, and probably that's how you came up with this idea. Yeah, but maybe there was some point uh, when you like had an inspiration about uh, about this device. How 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 this idea came to you? Um, you're gonna laugh at this. Um, one day I was gonna go play golf. So one day I had to start my car, and I was thinking, wow, only I can start my car with my fob. And then I had to go to the bank to get money because we gamble when we play golf. And only I can use my card and my personal code to get money. So I started thinking, you know, opioids, when they're given to a patient at home, they don't have any type of security or any type of control dispensing. And I thought, what better way to dispense opioids as if it was money? I mean, we put our jewelry, our watches, our stocks in a safe, but those things don't kill people but opioids can kill people. So how come we don't put them in a safe to be safely, securely stored at home so kids can't get to it and overdose and die? What is really disheartening for me is one in four overdoses today involves children. That sounds terrific. Actually, uh, your dispenser is connected uh, via Bluetooth, but that's probably not the only solution. How did you came up with the idea of uh, Bluetooth connection? Maybe there are some other alternative technologies. In terms of security, is it really good or not? Tell a few words about this. Sure. Um, 
I think BLE, Bluetooth Low Energy, is a very reasonable way to connect an, your own smartphone to the iPill dispenser because it's your phone. You have to open your phone with two points of biometric authentication, either your face mm -hmm. or your fingerprint and a personal code. And it's your phone. Most people, they have a heart attack if they lose their phone. They can't live without their phone. So you're going to have your own security measure for your own phone. The first, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is the phone itself needs to be opened so the app can be used. And we have a second degree of authentication, your face, your fingerprint, and your, um, your personal code. So that's uh, unique to you. And then mm -hmm. the, the PLE, we make, we make the connection between the app, the phone, and the dispenser unique because we use uh, 128 encryption. So we actually mm -hmm. add a random number generator to numerically enhance the security of the device. The third part of the security is with proximity. We can dial down the energy level of the BLE transmitter so that you have to be within two or three feet, let's say, or four or five feet, so that you have to have proximity. So uh, a person who has ransomware trying to log into your dispenser from the net won't be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's great measures in terms of security. Let's talk about after you came up with this brilliant idea and you started like to making a business plan, pitching your startup, etc. Actually, after the launch, what were the key risks for your product? How did you handle those risks? Um, the key risks are really pretty, pretty uh, basic, meaning that um, we need to make sure someone pays for the device. We needed to uh, promote the device to the pharmacy insurer who are going to pay for the device. In order to do that, we needed to get reimbursement codes so that the device will be less costly to them so they see the benefit from a profit standpoint. So because we're an FDA Innovation Challenge winner and mm -hmm. because we're a breakthrough product-designated FDA um, device, that means that we get the CPT codes and C codes through uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid faster. We also get mm -hmm. fix codes, HCPCS codes from HHS, and then the FDA UDI number. So that means that we can make the device reimbursable to the insurer, which means that mm -hmm. it's uh, of limited cost. We're trying not to increase the cost to the patient. In doing so, what we want to do is show that the device can save money and increase profits for the insurer. Every year, it costs $19,333 to take care of a uh, a subscriber who is abusing opioids. It also means that for every opioid death, it costs the insurer $1.8 million. That's because for every death, there's 119 ER visits and 22 hospitalizations. So if you, let's say we did this in patients who are under 26 years old, we can save, let's say a medium-sized insurer, uh, $4.5 billion. So we show them that we can use a small amount of money to save a lot of money. And so okay. that, that gives them incentive to want to use the device. So you, you actually use money against other money to, to, to bring health, both will benefit, uh, uh, the, the clients, uh, people who get the medication and uh, the insurance companies. That sounds really amazing. Yeah, this is, this is, this, this, this project is very, very unique because it's a win, 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 win 
for everyone involved. Like you just said, and you're very smart mm -hmm. in making that perception. Patients can get their opioids. That's very important because chronic pain patients have not been able to get their opioids because of the, uh, the federal government has decreased opioid prescribing. The mm -hmm. uh, insurance companies will make more money, so they're going to win. Physicians don't no longer have to worry about uh, risking their license or going to jail because their patients overdose. Patients win because they mm -hmm. not only get their drugs, but get, they get their drugs in a very safe manner. We do have a respiratory sensor that's associated with it. So if you're not breathing well, 911 is called. Mm -hmm. And then that's awesome. Yeah, and then the pharmacies win because they have a now they now have a secure way to dispose of opioids. The FDA wins because now they have a way to save $698 billion a year in medical expenses and uh, loss of work, workman comp productivity. And politicians win because then they can say they solved the opioid crisis. Okay. And, uh, okay. and actually, as a startup uh, with this brilliant idea, uh, what were your mistakes? What are some things that you like recommend to avoid uh, some things that if you had a second chance, you wouldn't do? Well, one, one of the biggest issues that I have is to understand that this is a big project and I need lots and lots of friends. And by nature, I'm very trusting of people. Um, a lot of people told me that they could raise money for me and mm -hmm. they have not been able to. So my biggest weakness is probably trusting people too much. You, we, we need to be discerning in how we listen to people and what they tell you. So one of the things that I eventually had to do was actually put in $500,000 of my own money to make this project mm -hmm. go forward. And part of the $500,000 is um, <laughs> paying people money so they could raise money for me. But those people mm -hmm. were not able to raise money for me. So one of the things that I would say as one of the biggest weaknesses is I should have tried to raise money and then pay for success fees. Most people tell you when they raise money is that, oh, you need money to pay me so we can share risk. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. If we want to share risk, then if they are as good as they say they are, then we should work together. And then if they're successful, I pay them more than they're asking for. And that's what I should have done. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds interesting. And you actually said about uh, 500Ks of your investments, but uh, um, what was the cost of actually doing all, all the startup initial things in order to launch your product? Uh, did you have like overheads uh, or, and, or how could you avoid them except uh, not trusting people? So um, I have a software company. I'm a programmer. So I programmed mm -hmm. Go. So I actually wrote the initial programs for the IPL app. Um, I took the, <laughs> I, I actually made the device. I bought products on IPL, sorry, on mm -hmm. uh, for IPL on Amazon and went to my garage and put it together. So because I can program, I was able to program the, the Arduino chip in our prototype mm -hmm. and add in a BLE transmitter. So I did a lot of the work myself. So I've bootstrapped the company. Um, the cost of that is fairly minimal because it's very inexpensive to make. By design, mm -hmm. I tried to make the device easy to manufacture. As I move forward into prototyping, what I had to do is hire people to do 
better work than me. You know, I'm a physician, but I know how to program and I know what I need to do, but I don't have enough time in a day to do it. So mm-hmm. I needed to get patents. So I initially filed the patents myself and then I hired mm-hmm. an attorney to follow up on the patents. So that costed a few dollars. I applied for grants and I applied for all the different um, requirements for starting a, a startup. And I did those myself. So I did a lot of the work myself. Mm-hmm. That's actually great. In terms of competition, I believe your product is unique, but maybe there are like some other solutions now on the market that copied you, or maybe there were some similar devices uh, earlier. Uh, how it goes with competition? Well, right now there's two main competitors to my product. Um, I've been doing this for three years. One of the competitors mm-hmm. is called MedicaSafe. They've been doing this for 14 uh, years, and they've taken about mm-hmm. $7, $8 million in grant money. Oh, wow. Their device uses only one-point authentication, which is mm-hmm. a problem because banks use two-point authentication. If you are trying to protect your money, you would want two-point authentication. So therefore, our earlier example of using an ATM, you have to use two-point authentication. That's one of their weaknesses. The other weakness that they have mm-hmm. is that they're using a plastic container. So if you actually break into mm-hmm. it, it's just like a child-resistant cap. You open the cap, you can put all the tablets on a table, and you can easily divert or abuse those drugs. There's another device called TAD, T-A-D, Take As Directed, by a company that is from Intent Solutions. Again, they use one-point authentication and also... They're made mm-hmm. out of plastic. They don't destroy the pills. And if you break into it, you can have access to the pills. What, I, what my product does is it controls the pills and actually controls human behavior. So if you decide you want to take more pills than usual, you have a chance to go through cognitive behavioral therapy, which means that I can try to divert your need to take opioids with music, with social media posts, with other people, with yoga poses, with games, anything that can distract you from taking opioids. We know this works because Mm -hmm. in the workman comp industry, they've taken opioids from 60% per claim to 25% per claim by using multiple uh, multidisciplinary team approach to control pills and also control cognitive behavioral therapy. If we actually talk in terms of technology, you told this amazing story how you did uh, the, the first device on your own in, in your uh, garage, and that's amazing. But after that, you, you said you need to take a team together. Did you went on hiring at USA or maybe you went on outsource? How did you build your team? So I built my team with a group of experts in their field. I wanted specific jobs done. The cheapest way to do that is to get experts and give them a task that's well-defined. So as an example, um, if this eye pill, I want to have dispensed with all 191, 191 million opioid prescriptions in the United States. So I need, I may need to build 191 million eye pill dispensers per year. Mm-hmm. I contacted Foxconn, the makers of the iPhone. They were so uh intrigued with the pro with a project that they saw a good social impact so we have a, a mutual uh understanding and a, a signed uh, mou letter they can build one to two million per day in a factory in mexico or china so 
in order to do this project correctly, I needed to look at the scenario several iterations down the road. So I found the best people to help with this project and demonstrated a social impact project in which they can make a huge amount of profit as well. IPL dispenser is IoT device. Uh, and can you share what technologies you use to build it and why? Did you, maybe you use some ready-made IoT solutions and platforms, or was it built from scratch and etc.? Well, the IoT device was built from scratch. We used off-the-shelf materials. We used an Arduino uh, board, uh, which is like eight nine dollars on Amazon, and then I used a BLE chip, which is like a three dollars, mm -hmm. and then um, I used uh, some three D printed device. Uh, and inject uh, 3D printed devices for the housing and so forth. And the way it's built, I also had to use a um, a solenoid to push the pills out. Mm -hmm. um, the way the internal mechanics are is that everything can be injection molded in the future. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the future, we need to do in, uh, industrial design to make sure this product can be manufactured in, in very high volumes. So I, I would like to use a PCB board printed circuit board with the BLE chip transmitter inside. So that would make the PCB board uh, maybe less than a dollar, the, the BLE chip maybe 70, 80 cents. The solenoid can be at less than a dollar. The housing will cost, if it's injection molded, uh, maybe a dollar. I need to make this device very, very inexpensive so it can be ubiquitous for mm -hmm. all patients. So I want to make sure all patients can can get access to it and make sure it's cheap enough so the industry, the pharmacy insurer industry, can say, oh, this is a non-costly device that has great potential. Okay, and actually, uh, how many of the devices uh, did you uh, produce during the three years? Uh, what is your market read? So um, we've only produced prototype. We are launching to market now. We have two mm -hmm. purchase orders from uh, behavioral sciences centers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they are doing a pilot. Uh, one is starting with 200 units that will probably launch into 13,000 units. The other is mm -hmm. a behavioral science center that has three uh, centers in three states. They will um, eventually start out with probably a couple hundred units as well, and then also launch into between seven to 8,000 units per year. There's 1,450 behavioral treatment centers in the United States. That particular model for that particular segment will give me, hopefully, if all behavioral, behavioral science centers use it, will give me a gross income of about $2 billion. Mm -hmm. That sounds very good. And actually, in terms of uh, sales and marketing, uh, how do you uh, pitch your product? Is this a personal connection or, uh, I know, uh, some kind of promotional campaign? Well, those it's interesting you ask that. You know, we haven't launched to market yet. Um, these two behavioral science centers actually found me on the Internet, and they were so interested in the device because... Uh, they want a decreased relapse rate of their patients going from the inpatient to the outpatient center. And this is like a mm -hmm. ATM for opioids. It's a secure way to, to monitor their opioids that they don't, they've never had before. So they contacted me. So once I use, once I see them and we have a positive trial, then 
we can use that information to market to the rest of the, the industry. What I would rather do to make selling efficient is to get an insurance mandate. If one insurance company decides to put all their opioids in this, the US government may see the value of this, a very inexpensive way to save $698 billion, then becomes a federal mandate, just like the child-resistant cap. You know, the child-resistant mm-hmm. cap was developed in 1967 by, by Dr. Henri uh, Briault, and that was 53 years ago. We haven't improved it at all. We've sent a man to the moon, but we haven't improved something that can kill people. Okay. Yeah. And actually, it's very great for a startup when like, the product is not yet on the market, but there are already clients who, who want it. So it's a great experience. Uh, how would you suggest like people who are uh, doing startups right now, what should they do in order to get uh, this great attention to their product? What are your tips for startups uh, that they should keep in mind and sh- that will help them to do a better product? I think... For most people, you have to think about the end customer and you have to think about it from the bottom up and the top down. So you have to make a product that people will want and then you have to make a product that the purchaser will want as well. And sometimes that's the customer. But in my situation, Mm -hmm. we have the customer, which is the patient, and we have the customer that is also the pharmacy insurer, the FDA. So you need to go from bottom up and top down. So looking at having a, a customer and a market that demands your product. And I think we've successfully determined that. Yeah, okay. And actually, you mentioned it a couple of times, but didn't say it uh, out loud. Uh, what will be the final price? Uh, what are you planning? Uh, like it's $10, 20 100 How much would be the final price of the device? Well, um, I asked a... I asked a pharmacy insurer company that has uh, about 40 million subscribers. That's a medium sized. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a meeting with them, I asked them how much they would pay for this device. And they said $300. And I told them, I would pay, I would offer this device to you for $50. The next thing they said is, I want to put your device in, ten, in our 10,000 pharmacies. I told them, I'm not ready yet. I need to know your company. I need to know your workflow. I need to do a pilot with you, mm-hmm. make sure that you don't ruin my business and I don't ruin your business. So I think that at $50, we can get this reimbursed by the government. And at $50, these in pharmacy insurers can save 19, let's say $20,000 per abusing patient and $1.8 billion for each opioid death. I want to make this such that it's not really a stressful situation for the pharmacy insurer. It can be a small increment in how they price this product so that it becomes ubiquitous. You know, it's like chewing gum, something very inexpensive that they use often. And that way, it begins mm-hmm. to save lives and have really a social impact project. You know, this is not only a social impact project, but also an evergreen project because anyone who uses an opioid can be safely protected by only being able to access opioids at the prescribed dose. And then their kids or their other family members can't get those drugs because they aren't prescribed. So there's a reduced risk of diversion. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's talk about uh, 
topics that is currently like everywhere is coronavirus and what i would like to ask is how corona and if coronavirus inf uh, influenced your business and how how do you see the industry now and how the coronavirus influenced the industry right now wow that's a great question you know um the coronavirus that's one pandemic but you know there's actually two pandemics there's a coronavirus pandemic and there's the opioid crisis or opioid pandemic in the opioid crisis in the united states because we've quarantined the opioid overdose deaths in march went up 18% in april overdose deaths went up 29% in may opioid overdose went up 42% it has slowed the ability to for me to market the device to investors but we're using zoom similar to what you were doing today i think once we get a vaccine or the the opioid sorry the covid becomes more uh improved with social distancing and wearing masks people will come to realize the the opioid crisis has never left and covid has actually accelerated the opioid prescription opioid overdose issue so Mm -hmm. I need to get this on market as soon as possible. I need lots of help. I need investors to help me. I need people to talk about it so that we realize that there's a COVID pandemic and there's an opioid overdose pandemic as well. Yeah, that's very very important thing what you're actually doing. Yeah, you know, as an example, after the United States, Canada has a very large problem with prescription opioids as well. the indigenous tribes mm -hmm. problem the uh, veterans in canada have a problem as well that's because opioids are what what i like to call is un well let me think about this it, it, it the problem is you have uncontrolled access to controlled substances the mm -hmm. child resistant cap doesn't protect adults so people can take opioids as they decide so the real issue in canada and the united states is that you need to treat both the patient and the pills so in canada what i'm uh, going to do is do a 90 10 tie 90% of the profits from the i pill will stay in canada to help people who are homeless who uh have an opioid addiction to help people that is a social impact project that hopefully people will understand that i'm only doing i'm doing this to help society it's not for me making a lot of money because people can sometimes see doctors as greedy see businessmen as greedy but if i tie 90% of the profits back into canada and they stay in canada hopefully people understand that my heart is in helping people yeah that's bravo that's absolutely great and if we keep talking about some effect that your uh, device will have on a society you are now talking about canada uh, did you consider like expansion to other markets because uh, actually you usa and canada they are quite rich to be honest and there are countries worldwide that are not that lucky but they surely have the same problem did you consider uh, expanding your business uh, uh, further Yes, um two things. Um we have a PCT patents. We have to follow the administrative issues. So we have patents in the EU, uh South America, um Asia, um and Canada, of course. 
The second mm -hmm. thing that we're doing is when people need to use a, need to have a clinical study for a clinical research organization, one of the big issues that they have is they're not able to promote patient adherence to the complicated study protocols. So if you mm -hmm. have a patient who needs to take a pill right after they eat, four hours later, 18 hours later, 24 hours later, then th every 36 hours after that, you need a patient reminder and you need to also figure out when the patient actually took the pills. So mm -hmm. the iPill cord the time they took the iPill, sorry, took the dr study drug from the iPill. And then what we've done is we've added a small Bluetooth transmitter in conjunction mm -hmm. with a company that uh, produces this transmitter. The importance of the transmitter is such that once the person takes the pill and it hits the stomach, the gastric pH causes an electron transport potential. In doing so, it sends a small signal, a BLE signal to a patch that can collect that information. So mm -hmm. now you have a way to determine and remind patients to take the pills determine when they take the pills and determine when it hits the stomach. Now you have mm -hmm. pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic data that is very, very accurate. So that can improve the way drugs are evaluated and the success of certain drugs. Because I can make this mm -hmm. very inexpensively, I can make this for uh, the abuse deterrent behavioral centers. I can make this device for clinical research. I'm actually making this device for dentists as well because mm -hmm. the kids under 26 years old have the highest rate of opioid prescription usage and abuse. The dentists are the first point where young people get exposed to opioid. They're also the first point of prevention to prevent a lifetime of medical expenses associated with addiction and abuse, mm -hmm. which we can prevent hopefully reduce the risk of associated problems with opioid addiction and abuse, such as crime and homelessness. Mm -hmm. Actually, what, what I was also uh, wondering about some uh, market predictions and tendencies in healthcare, how do you see healthcare like in five, 10 years? What are the key tendencies and trends in there? How do you see your product changing healthcare? Uh, the way it is done now? Potentially, I, hopefully this product will go worldwide. That's why it has to be inexpensive. Uh, the United States has a high cost of uh, medical expense and also population in the U.S. makes more money than the rest of the world, I think. It also has a very mm -hmm. high uh, cost of living. I think as an example, uh, there's a state probation and also a, a behavioral treatment uh, scenario. So what in the COVID situation, um, the politicians have decided that they would like to uh, get uh, release addicts out of jail, which makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, they don't get treatment in jail. So uh, mm -hmm. what I propose is to use the ankle bracelets that give house arrest for addicts mm -hmm. and use the eye pill dispenser to dispense opioids so that number one, these, pay, these addicts don't, do not get opioid uh, withdrawal syndrome, which can be cause death and cause mm -hmm. to seek out more opioids, but to give them opioids in a controlled fashion so we can keep them alive so that we can give them cognitive behavioral therapy 
to also add to the way we can treat them. So if this state agency for probation and judiciary um, department puts this in place, we can save them money because at $50 mm-hmm. for the eye pill dispenser and about $200 for the ankle bracelet, that's $300 a day, whereas it costs between uh, eight to $900 per day to keep a, a person in jail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually, I'm kind of out of questions. So it was really, really great to talk with you. Uh, the project, uh, your project, I feel dispenser is Like it looks like something very amazing that will change the society and that will change the healthcare and help. I hope very, very a lot of people. So thank you for coming. This was a really, really great uh, discussion. Thank you for having me. You know, I just want to say one last thing. Most people don't realize that the opioid crisis is 20 years old and the opioid overdose deaths has increased every year except for one. What we need to do Mm -hmm. is do something different. We can't do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. I hope that people will have an open mind so that we can actually make a difference in the lives of people who are abusing opioid and prevent them from going down a path in which opioid abuse and addiction is the only way out. Great. Thank you for what you're doing because I I sincerely believe that it it makes the world better. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. See you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.